and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. And I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. We've been working on a podcast series, Freelancing for Journalists, to support our book of the same out, same name, which is coming out this July. Yes, and excitingly, because this has been quite a long time in the making, we're going to be launching the first of those episodes um, in which we cover everything from pitching, branding, finances, uh, networking. Um, We're going to be launching those next week. Yeah, so that's the full official series. But in the middle of getting this series together, coronavirus came along and we've had to adapt how we're working And it's prompted us to do some ad hoc episodes such as this about freelancing during this very strange time. Yeah, so this is our third coronavirus episode. And so far we've talked about um, coping with the loss of work, which I know has been a problem for a lot of us, um, financial difficulties and what support there might be, as well as things like juggling homeschooling and working. Yeah, so it's been a really challenging time for us and we know it's been a challenging time for lots of freelancers out there. But in this episode, we wanted to talk about positive things. So today it's all about gratitude and taking stock of what has gone right or ways in which we've adapted. We've also got some fancy new mics. Um, so hopefully this will boost the quality of the podcast because um, Emma and I are actually 100 miles apart. Yes, and um, I did hear recently that this is the mic that Louis Theroux has been using in his new ah. podcast, so we're in good company. Um, as usual, we have two guests with us today. So John Earls and Puntavanta Hayden, who both have some positive stories to tell. Uh, but before we get to them, we're going to catch up with what has been going on for us. So in one of my regular Zoom pub meetings at the weekend, I was speaking to some friends and they were saying they were a bit more world weary. It kind of felt like lockdown was getting a bit harder and a bit more stressful as time goes on. So for our sanity, it's probably time to take stock of what's going well and those little wins or things that have actually gone right in this time. So Lily, what, what has, what's changed for you in terms of what work you're doing? Yeah, I think the main thing that's changed is I've actually taken on some uh, weekend shift work for a new client and I wouldn't have even considered this I don't think um, pre-lockdown because it would have meant I wouldn't have seen my my kids or my husband at all but because the days of the week are kind of irrelevant now um, it basically means what we've decided to switch the week around so we're going to have our weekend on a Wednesday and Thursday and then the rest of the week is going to be the working week so we'll still have a bit of um homeschooling at the weekend but i'll be i'll be working on the saturday sunday so that's kind of been a, a positive spin to come out of it um that i've been able to do these these weekend shifts um obviously when kind of things change with lockdown i'll, I'll have to reassess that but a kind of knock-on effect of that as well is that it's given me a bit more time because i've got this regular shift work now it means I'm not kind of having to pitch so much. Um, so something I'm doing is um, a big FOI investigation at the moment because um, I've got more time to do it. In normal circumstances, I wouldn't. So I'm actually employing my first ever intern. So I'm able to, to offer work to some 
journalism students or graduates, I actually got 65 applications. Wow. Okay, hours. I had to close the deadline early because I've got so many applications. Um, I'm just working my way through those. Um, but there's some really good people in there. So I'm really pleased that I'm going to be able to offer a bit of work to people that maybe aren't being able to get work experience at the moment or go in and, and do work at news organisations. Um, so, yeah, that those kind of two things, I think, um, have been sort of a change in the way you know I've had I had I've been able to do things that I wouldn't have been able to do before so yeah I think that's the main thing for me what about you Emma? Yeah so even I mean you might think as a medical journalist and I've been writing about nothing but coronavirus now for about two months that I'd be a bit protected from this but actually I have lost a couple of regular gigs sort of a day shift a week for two different publications and that added up to about £1,400 a month of regular work so when that happened sort of in the space of a week that was a bit panic inducing initially but actually what I did was just take a deep breath and I had lots of ideas because I'm constantly writing and speaking to people about coronavirus so I went to my ideas list pitched some some different organizations and oh about 80% of those pitches got picked up so it's so far touch wood it's been fine and it's kind of forced me to kind of do something a bit different rather than just getting into that rut of that regular um on a Monday I do this and on a Tuesday I do this it's kind of mixed it up a bit which also helps with having the kids around because I can be a bit more flexible about what I'm doing and sort of when I'm doing it um the other thing is is it's really forced me to spend some time sorting out all those things on my to-do list that I never ever got around to ever like I mean I had the list (laughs) Yeah, like my website. That was the big one for me. That had been, it's so funny because we've written this book and in the book we talk about having a website. Lily did that chapter and we've done a podcast on it, but I was definitely not taking my own advice. It was always there. I kind of had it, but it was sort of a big sign on it saying this is in progress. And when I, I don't know why I built it up so much in my head, but when I actually sat down to do it, it was like two and a half hours and that was it. I was done and dusted and it's there. And the only reason that I did that was because as work was disappearing, I thought I need to have this website so that I can showcase to new potential publications what I do and who I am and have like an easy place for them to find my work. So I didn't have any choice anymore. It was, okay, I can't put this off any longer. I've got to do it. And I did it and it was so easy and it's there. Yeah, It's fine. People are going to look at it. And yeah, it wasn't the big job that I'd made it out to be. Um, I did the same thing with my Twitter profile, kind of tidying that up. Um, Twitter is kind of where all the medical conversations are happening at the moment. So it's become more important. It always was, but it's become doubly important, getting loads of stories off there. So that's worked out really well. Um, So kind of just sitting down and doing those kind of things that normally would just get shoved to the bottom of the pile. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've done. What have you done on the Well, you know what I'm like? I'm a bit of a stickler for kind of keeping on top of things so my to-do list was kind of done but I've added things to it I suppose so there's things I thought oh I could really do with doing that so I could you know I haven't I still haven't done a contacts database um but I've started to make a list of all the financial websites and news stories to check on a regular basis so you would think I would 
have that already, but I don't. I just I just tend to do it, and it's kind of in my head. But I'm sure there's ones I miss. So I actually sorry, right? I need guess what? A Google Doc. Um, and now it's like my checklist. So and it was partly because of the shift work as well. I thought right, I need to go to all my key sources and make sure I'm checking the same ones each time. Um, so that's been quite helpful. I did my payment on account like as soon as I could once um, tax year came up. I think it's the first time I've done that like straight away, partly because I thought I've got the money, I want to pay it um, before this money ends up going somewhere else. And then I'm you know, having to find it later on. I have tweaked my email signature um the thing i haven't done which i i i think the day lockdown was announced i got my t-line shorthand book out thought i'm gonna brush off on my shorthand i've got shorthand but it's really slow and i've forgotten loads of the outlines um and i use it all the time so i thought yeah i'm gonna get on top of shorthand i haven't even opened the book yet so that's no, well, there's, there. yeah I mean there's only so many hours in the day even if we have these intentions I, I did actually set up my google contacts document because I've got contacts in all kinds of different places and I've been meaning to do that for ages but because I was getting lots of new contacts related to coronavirus stuff I thought I'm going to start it now and every day I'll just add in five of my old ones and just slowly and slowly build it up as well as adding in all the new ones rather than thinking this is too big for me to kind of accomplish in one go um and actually, when you go, when you think back through and start making the list, you realise you have actually done, like we've done a lot of very useful things for our businesses. And that's with, you know, young kids at home. It's not as if time is necessarily in lots of abundance at the moment, but I suppose it does kind of focus your mind a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, I've been amazed at how much work I've done in half the time in fact I've done it the same amount of work in half the time and I think oh my I must have been faffing about on social media so much pre-lockdown because I, I'm, I'm not having the time to do that now um, I'm just having to to knock out the stories much quicker and be much more time efficient um, and I think it does like you say focus the mind I will say as an aside um, on a more po personal note, something that I discovered, um, it's COVID related. So I was, um, I had to self quarantine for a week, as you know, Emma, um, cause I had COVID symptoms. Um, so basically I was in the bedroom for a week, kind of working on a laptop, um, getting meals on a tray from my dutiful husband. Um, but I was desperate to get some fresh air and he kept saying to me, you should go out on the roof, you should go out on the roof. I was like, oh, don't be silly. And then eventually I was like, I need to go out on the roof um, because our bedroom over, um, overlooks the kitchen roof, which is flat. And I have discovered it is the best place for sunbathing. And now um, on a sort of Friday evening, if the kids are watching telly and it's sunny, husband and I go up on the roof, bottle of beer and sunbathe. And it's great. And we've been in this house for seven years and we never thought of sunbathing on the roof. So... Sounds Absolutely. like an excellent place to hide from children as well. <laughs> it is. We don't tell them we're up there. It's great. So, yeah, that's, that's just uh, one of those little thing, odd things that's come out of it. Um, I mean, we did speak, didn't we, Emma, to other freelance journalists in our network um, about sort of some of the good news stories they had. Um, we got loads of really good responses, actually. And 
I think a lot of people said they've been working on their branding um, and sort of future-proofing really their business. Like you say, getting those things on their to-do list sorted out, looking at their websites and their social media platforms. Um, or they've been commissioned by someone they've always wanted to work for because it's kind of pushed them out of their comfort zone and, and got them to kind of pitch to people that they've really wanted to um, write for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the journalists responded to say that they'd got a book deal, which had only happened because of lockdown, which is great. And um, someone else had spent the time doing some training, which they'd been meaning to do for a while. Gets back to your shorthand, really. Yeah. And then hopefully those new skills will help them in the future. They've kind of not, you know, they've been making the most of that bit of quiet time that they had. Yeah, and it's really great to hear. I think initially there was a lot of panic and a lot of worry, but I think what this really shows is that freelance journalists are a really very resilient and, and a flexible bunch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, let's bring in our first guest. So joining us today, we have John Earls, who has been a journalist for over 25 years. John writes about music for the Daily Star and Daily Express, as well as for specialist magazines. Uh, he previously edited Loaded, had a weekly music column in the News of the World until its closure. So, um, John, fill us in on what's been happening with for you on the work front. So I think you've had some success in picking up new work. Uh, yes, I have indeed. I mean, basically, um, I'd got into quite a comfortable situation since going back freelance about two years ago. Uh, but the main two magazines that I work for, which are specialist music titles, they're, um, they've been closed down until July. And, you know, as you were saying, Emma, like everyone else, I was panicking a bit, really. Um, and then suddenly, kind of out of the blue, I had an offer to work for Record Collector magazine, which is a magazine I've read since, you know, as a, as a music fan since it's about 15, about 30 years or so, I guess, that I've been, I've been reading it. And basically, a PR friend of mine had put me forward to do some reviews for them because uh, Record Collector needed someone to review a particular album. And they said, you know, we just haven't got anyone on our roster who can, who can review this album, which was a bit of a surprise because in the music sector you kind of feel like you've got to turn your hand to stuff that isn't necessarily up your street musically you know you've got to be able to adapt a bit and it kind of was an awakening that there aren't that many journalists necessarily who are able to write about music across the board whether it be from pop to metal to hip-hop to funk whatever it might be and that it was kind of a reminder that you know I'm a journalist who's got more skills than perhaps I'd appreciated you know that there were um there's always you know there's always work crying out for adaptable writers i guess so my name was put forward uh i did the review and the commissioning editor was one of those dream commissioning editors to work for who's just been really quick and adaptable to get back to me and say yeah great we love that one we don't like you know we'll take that idea but not that idea and because i'd kind of got myself comfortable I'd kind of forgotten how to pitch really because I'd got regular work coming in across four or five titles. I just hadn't, you know, just kind of lost the knack of pitching. And when I was told, oh, these magazines are closing down until, well, until at least July, I guess, then the panic set in. But it was, it's been kind of a nice reminder that I'm able to pitch and know what I'm doing and that the work is out there because, you know, I know Emma, you were saying about everyone would think that medical journalists would have work coming in left, right and centre. For music journalists, that's not been the case because, of course, a lot of it comes from 
live, you know, live reviewing and a lot of the funding comes from live gig advertising. Of course, with that, without that, you kind of feel like, well, there's no work at all out there. And everyone's been kind of saying, oh, I hear so-and-so is closing. I hear such and such a magazine is closing. I hear that, you know, the opportunity is going down there. So you feel like there's not going to be any work out there. But it is a reminder that there is, if you look for it and if you make the context that the work is out there, probably in whatever sector you work for, I guess, really. Yeah, and what's, I think what's really nice about that is that you'd had some great feedback from that commissioning editor as well when you work for someone new. I know I work, um, I mean, it's not a new client, but I work for a publication that's based in Australia. So we have this kind of weird relationship where we're texting, I'm texting my editor kind of as I wake up in the morning and kind of working out what to do for the day and then um, don't hear anything for a while. And I'd sent her a, an article that we discussed. I'd kind of pitched something and we'd gone backwards and forwards on it. And then she said, when she received it, she said, this is amazing. How did you do this with three children running around? And I, I mean, she's got children as well, so I guess she understands, but I was just like, just felt so nice for someone to say, oh, thank you, you've done a really good job here. That's just such, you know, it just really spurs you on, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And it's been a similar situation with uh, with the reviews editor at Record Collector where I've picked, up, picked this work up from in that, he's just been so enthusiastic straight away. And that's, you know, like you hear about editors that just don't respond for weeks and weeks and you're kind of left hanging. And this has been such a dream relationship from moment one where I kind of contact him and said, look, I understand you're looking for someone to review uh, this album. And, he, you know, and ever since then, as I say, he's got back to me within probably three or four hours at most as the longest I've been kept waiting. Just that's the dream that you want from any commissioning editor. But it so rarely happens and it's just been you know it's just been great that again I kind of pitched eight ideas for a particular section that he he runs as well as the review section and he came back the next day saying yeah love it we'll take these four so you know that's it's kind of been all you can ask for really in that situation and again to find any work um, on a new title in, in the pandemic time is great but to find it where it's been someone who's just been so receptive is is even better. You know, it's a, you just kind of know that it's a regular contact that will go on past past the pandemic, I guess, really. Yeah, and I guess it shows the importance of keeping um, tapped into those places where people are talking about new work or promoting uh, when they might be taking pictures or accepting uh, new writers um, because you don't want to miss that because obviously there's lots of people who are <laughs> immediately trying to, um, jump on that as Lily found when she put out the ad for the intern so I guess you just have got to kind of keep out there and keep checking and just so that you don't miss the opportunities. Absolutely and I guess it's a case as well that um, I came to Record Collector via a PR contact friend of mine and it's been a kind of good reminder to to keep those contacts and not be afraid to say you know everyone's in the same boat here we all know this and music industry is quite a closed shop in terms of you know the PR contacts and the journalist contacts intermingling and it's you know there's no shame at all in saying look I've had this work come to an end can anyone help out here and that's led me to getting some record company work doing biographies for for press artists which is a regular is a regular gig in the music industry uh, in the music industry journalism sector where you know you kind of write biographies for an artist who's got a new record out and that's come to me again from just kind of saying, look, I'm available because because such and such a magazine has closed down. I think everyone's doing it, but it's just a reminder to to get your name out there and realise that you've probably got more contacts and more 
friends in the industry than you think you might have, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that point about finding the commissioning editor, that sort of gold dust commissioning editor is is really interesting because, um, you know, people that do contact you back and give you feedback, um, you know, it's, it's just so useful when you're freelancing, kind of pitching into the void. I think, you know, that the virus has kind of brought those people forward more as well. I've certainly noticed that some of my editors have been, you know, the good editors have been even better now and they're, and they're making the effort to make sure you're getting paid quickly um, and responding quickly and they, and they appreciate that everyone's in the same boat. I think this might actually be a good point to bring in our other guest, um, Punta van der Heiden. Um, so she's got experience on both sides of the fence here. So previously commissioning editor at Take a Break magazine and now a freelancer writing for the Mirror, Metro, Daily Mail and The Sun. But she's also got a really unique perspective because she's just launched Lacuna Voices, a new online magazine. So Punta, could you tell us about Lacuna Voices and also your decision to launch during lockdown? Yeah, so um, Lacuna Voices was something that kind of came to me last summer and I've been working on it since then. And it's a platform to kind of bridge the gap that I've felt exists in the, in the mainstream media, both as a freelance journalist, but as, a, as on staff on a national title, that there are lots of stories that need to be told because my, my predominant kind of area is true life. There are loads of stories that I come across. I think, oh, it's such a moving story or it's so inspiring, but then it doesn't find a home because it, it has something that the mainstream media might not want. So the interviewer might be abroad. They might not be British. They might not be female. They want to be anonymous. But what they have to say is still really worthy. And I felt really frustrated by that. So I started this idea of Lacuna Voices last summer and I've been working to build the platform and launching it kept getting delayed because I also suffer with a lot of chronic pain. So it was always a matter of how much can I manage on top of my quite high freelance workload. So it was supposed to be December, then January, and I just thought I'm not gonna pressure myself to launch. But when the lockdown happened, and when it was starting to head towards that, I decided in actually quite early March, I'm going to make March the, the month that I work on Lacuna Voices because I've been working really hard for the last few months in terms of freelance and I had enough money to just keep me going for a while. So I thought now's the time I'm just going to dedicate March to doing the SEO training that I wanted to do, to doing the Squarespace training that I wanted to do. So I worked on that a little bit and then I, I decided to launch. I got it to a point where I felt that not only my personal opinion but I was getting loads of feedback from just everywhere or even just keeping an eye on what people were saying on Twitter that everybody was getting a bit frightened of this constant narrative which is quite frightening in the news cycle of coronavirus the pandemic and I sensed that people needed a break they still wanted things to read but they didn't want to be frightened 24 hours a day by what they were reading and they just wanted to read stuff that they were interested in so I thought let's just let's just go for it and so I ramped up all my work on Lacuna Voices and I just basically was doing Lacuna Voices 24 hours a day and slotting in some of the freelance work that I was still kind of committed to. But Lacuna became my focus and then we launched about two weeks ago. And how did that feel? Were you anxious about doing it during lockdown? Yeah, I, I had a massive hit of imposter syndrome. 
which in the freelancers that I confided in, they were just saying, just don't be stupid. Like you have enough experience to do this, but also I kind of, I had this group of really supportive freelance friends and I was just saying to them, look, this is what I've got. I was giving them previews of the site and they were all just saying, just launch, just do it. Like, this is what everybody wants. Just do it. And so I, I kind of went with that. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of anxiety about launching and I didn't want to appear tone deaf. It's one of the things that I think is just the worst thing that can happen to a journalist to write a piece and then appear tone deaf. So I was very conscious of that, had the normal imposter syndrome going on, a bit of anxiety about, is this the right time? But as soon as I launched, the feedback was just so immensely positive. And touch wood, I've not had a single negative bit of feedback yet. So I'm glad I've launched it. And how is that kind of now fitted alongside your freelance work? Are you, are you still managing to do that? I'm basically working 24 hours a day at the moment. Um, yeah, so I'm just on this constant daily and evening and nightly and midnightly cycle of what work can I physically do right now? Um, I'm doing a lot of my editing on my phone because I am in a lot of pain anyway. So often I do work just in bed, laying flat. So I'll edit loads of the lacuna commissions that I've had in um, on my phone and then I'll sit up on the laptop and, you know, I tend to kind of split my day up. So I'll say, right, this morning I'm focused on, on Lacuna. Right, this afternoon I've got a deadline. So it's been very, very busy, but somehow it's happening. And what, what things have people particularly, sort of particularly resonated with people on the site? Has there been particular stories that have been more popular than others? Um, yeah, there's been a few stories that have been consistently read the most from the moment we launched till now. But um, there was one about a woman who launched a charity to help refugees in her new hometown of um, Columbus in Ohio. Um, she was a Somalian refugee herself and it just, her story really resonated and people just, the, the readership from all over the world, like every single country, it's been, it's been absolutely bonkers and very um, humbling how many people are reading these features, but hers really resonated. Um, and it just kind of, proved my hypothesis that the things that shackle the mainstream media in the UK such as the locality of the person that you're talking about it becomes irrelevant in a digital age people just want good true life they don't really care where it's from which was always my hunch and it's been satisfying seeing that resonate with so many people yeah that's really interesting because I mean Emma and I also teach journalism and one of the things we teach is news values and mm you know, the, the kind of evidence has been that, you know, locality, like you say, is a news value, and, but that's generated by journalists, not yeah. by readers. Um, and there's a kind of assumption that, you know, readers want something local, but at the end of the day, like you say, people just want to read a good story. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we kind of, we had... Um, a guest on our first coronavirus podcast who was making so she would normally write about running and so all the running events have disappeared but she was saying actually her focus had completely shifted to just good stories people want good stories so she was looking at kind of sporting achievements of the past and all kinds of just different ways of just sitting down and reading about something uplifting or inspiring yeah and I think that's um kind of a, a main pillar of lacuna voices and one of the things I've been harping on about on social media and especially on the website itself is that our, the ethos of Lacuna Voices is really key so every business and editorial decision 
that I make runs on those three pillars, which is um, integrity, candor, and courage. And it's the courage to kind of talk about and write about things that maybe the mainstream media, oh, it's not very sexy, it's not very interesting, or the readers might not like it. But actually, these are the issues that affect people day to day. And they want to read about it because it makes them feel less alone. And um, that's one of the really positive feedback kind of things that I've been getting messages about and emails about is just that everybody's really enjoying the ethos and how I've made it very clear that payment on publication ends with lacuna voices. Every freelancer is paid within 30 days. I'm often paying people within a few days of them filing. It doesn't matter when I publish it, you'll be paid for your work, which I think now during this pandemic is even more important. Our finances are, you know, really stretched. So writers shouldn't have to wait months and months for their payment. I think it's really unethical. And also how, um, I've just kind of promised to not have any clickbait. The, this, the layout of the website, the headlines, the copy itself, it's all told really in a straightforward manner because I feel like the topics are worthy enough. I don't need to stick a salacious or clickbaity headline on it. Whatever the headline is, that is the truth. Um, so that has, always, that has also been a point that people are emailing me about saying that they're really enjoying it and it's just really great to hear. Yes, well, if a story is a good story, you shouldn't need to oversell it. That's the that's the key. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we've all had times when we're kind of worried because work's disappearing or commissions have not been picked up or even at the other end, if I've had a couple of weeks where I felt very overwhelmed because I've got deadline, deadline, deadline and three children running in constantly um, asking me to print out Pokemon pictures seems to be the main thing at the moment. Um, so let's um i want to ask you your advice on things that you do for keeping positive so if you're having that day when something's not gone quite right or uh you're a bit too busy maybe so john i'll ask you first like kind of what do you do to keep positive uh to be honest it's it, it's as vague as it sounds it's probably a, it's probably a case of trying not to worry about it because you know, as you say yourself, there's got to be days when you do, you know, when you have, when you are chasing four or five deadlines at once. And if it's a case that the work is drying up, you know, there's no sign necessarily of something happening for a day or two. Just try not to worry about it. You know, read that book, listen to those records, just chill out and get in front of the telly if you can. And knowing full well that, you know, like I was just saying about this record collector commission coming in, is that something will be there soon enough and there's all you know there's always a million one things i know lily you were saying there's only so many hours in the day and you need to make time for yourself you know just the journalism can be and kind of should be in some ways i guess if it's a vocation it can be all consuming but don't let it be if the work isn't there and rather than staring into the void wondering you know clicking send receive on your email folder which we've all done in the hope that someone's going to suddenly commission you just get away from it for, for that day and because there'll be Saturdays and Sundays you'll be working soon enough so just try not to worry about it which is easier said than done I'd be guilty of it myself but that's well, yeah, what but it, trying to it's, do. Uh, it's good advice because you can I mean writing about coronavirus you can be completely consumed 24-7 about it you kind of I'm checking Twitter when I wake up before I get, like you can it, so we've kind of had a time every evening where we've literally chucked our phones over the other side of the room to watch them tell you you have to kind of make yourself switch off um but yeah you kind of find you have to find ways to juggle everything i guess yeah. um and to do things that you enjoy doing and not just 
and not just working and take a break from time to time. Uh, Punter, what about you? What would be your tips for? Um, I think my the thing that I try to do quite a lot is just on days when you feel overwhelmed or you're just feeling worried or anxious about work, I try to actually give myself some time off because being stuck in that rut or that kind of mentality can be quite damaging and you kind of end up in this frozen place of I'm frightened about all these things and I can't seem to get my head straight to do the work that I need to do in order to maybe get a new commission or complete the work that I need to do. So I think giving yourself some time off actually when you're at a really high point of stress um, really is quite beneficial. And because I usually manage a lot of chronic pain, this is my go-to. I just say, right, forget it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna binge watch some Netflix this afternoon and I'm gonna pick up that deadline tonight and I'm gonna sort it out. But also um, kind of keeping sight that just like John said, that things do change quite quickly. So, you know, it's okay to just have a bad day, but if I've got loads of deadlines, what I tend to do if I feel overwhelmed is I, I do little Pomodoro sessions. I don't know if you've heard of this mm. technique, but I just say, right, I'm just going to do half an hour. That's it. That's all I'm going to commit to is half an hour. And then once you get going, the anxiety lifts and the fog clears and you can actually do what you need to do without feeling the strain anymore. So Pomodoros and giving, you time, giving yourself time off. I think if you don't do that as a freelance, giving yourself time off, like, it's one of the best, best things about being freelance. So Yes, and we, we wrote about Pomodoro in the book um, and I have since writing about that have been doing it quite often when you just and it's amazing that once you start you're fine well the thinking about stuff is always worse than the doing it and you'll get it done really quickly as well if you just set that timer and just set a task and off you go exactly it's actually that anxiety of getting it done or feeling like it's such a big task that you can't complete it and I felt like that with Lacuna because I was initially going to launch with six pieces per section and sometimes I just look at everything I had to do because I was doing it largely on my own. Just thinking, God, I don't have time. Like, how am I going to do this? So I just set a Pomodoro and that was it. It just got me on my way. <laughs> and I mean, from your perspective, Punter, as a commissioning editor, um, and obviously you're looking for new voices and new stories, yeah. for, for people that might be either interested in pitching to you or just kind of reaching out to new outlets that they've not worked for previously and what advice would you give them um I would say just do it even if it's just to say hello like I'm really liking what I'm seeing just starting a dialogue with people sometimes and keeping it short and sweet can be quite nice because just from the commissioning point of view when I was on you know on a national desk I would get 400 500 pitches a day and it was really refreshing when someone just go hi like how are you <laughs> you know just having a chat with someone it's actually a nice opportunity at this point when we can't network face to face just send someone a nice email i really appreciate those and all the feedback that i've had where people have just said you don't even need to reply but i just wanted to say i've really loved x article or whatever it's always started a nice dialogue and i just think if you're in that position where you're able to just be nice and send a nice email it, it could re- it can really help you build a relationship with a new commissioning editor yeah, I, th- I think that that's actually really interesting because you, you, I think people sometimes worry that they've got a kind of, it's got to be like sell, 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 mm. um, and they've got to like get to the point straight away. Um, and I guess if you have that kind of humanity and kind of personal touch, then that that can help you to, yeah. to stand out. Yeah, and if everyone, or I should say everyone has been, in my experience, 
very kind. So uh, commissioning editors who I've known for years uh, on every email asking how I am and if I think everything's going okay before they go into anything else. It's just kind of like, it's just kind of slowed everything down and they've like, I'm, you know, I'm not just going to throw some work at you. I'm going to check that because I can't see you. I'm going to check that your situation is okay first. And that's just quite nice. It's very thoughtful, isn't it? It actually makes you feel really valued as a freelancer, but also as a commissioning editor. I had um, one of the editors that I work with on a national paper. She actually called me the other day because she heard that I wasn't well. And she just called me just to see how I was, even though she is so busy. And it meant the absolute world to me. So for any commissioning editors who are listening or editors out there or freelancers, whatever, I think that that humanity really means so much right now. And like you were saying, Emma, that this slowing down almost and getting people to engage on just a person-to-person level rather than just that person's got a budget I want to sell them something it actually I think means a lot now people are connecting in a different way on a more personal level yeah yeah I agree John do you do you think that as well is is that your experience at the moment is is everyone being nicer um I don't know if everyone's being nicer post-pandemic but I think it's the case that you very quickly learn who the commissioning editors you get on with on a if you get on with them on a professional basis sooner or later it's going to turn into a personal relationship as well and certainly most of the commissioning and i've been on both sides of the fence myself that the freelancers i went back to when i was commissioning would be the ones that you'd kind of trust on a personal basis as well i mean if it, you know i guess it sounds obvious and hunter you've probably been on the same side of it as well that if you've got two freelancers were pretty much equal in terms of talent you'd go to the one who've just got the better instincts with you know that ultimately can it will pay off for you I guess and I think um, certainly in terms of the commissioning editors and the public relations people I deal with in terms of getting interviews with artists in the music industry is that you need to have some sort of empathy and affinity and the, 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 the freelancers who take it too far and it just being hustle 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 it's a short-term win for me you know it can be the best ideas but if you're just kind of constantly pressurizing people into a response it can be a bit off-putting you know certainly certainly as having been on the commissioning side of things that you just kind of feel like that you know that's enough now back off a little bit and let's just let's just have a chat because yeah it's important but you know it's not it's it shouldn't be all consuming yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, particularly about the sort of persisting. Um, and that's always a really fine line to judge, I think, as a freelance is sort of how much to keep sort of asking for a response. Um, and I mean, I know that I think in the book we talk about this and sort of, you know, how soon to chase a pitch and how many times to chase it. But I think what we're all saying is it's, it's about trying to make that connection with those people that you're working for or would like to work for rather than it just kind of being kind of all business, I suppose. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that does kind of come back to the other way as well. So I, I had an editor recently who she just come back from maternity leave. So I'd not worked with her for ages and she put out a call for pictures and I sent her through a few ideas and I'd not heard anything for a couple of days but I, I was busy. Um, but then she got back in touch to say, I really appreciate you sending those. I just, I'm a bit swamped. I will get back to you. Um, so it's a two-way thing, isn't it? If you've kind of built up that relationship in the past, you can be a bit thoughtful of each other's positions and um, the pressures that you might have 
differently and and that just kind of made me feel all oh, right okay it's not being ignored she did get it sure and that she picked up to uh, a couple of those in the end so yeah but I think, I think i think as well it's it's a case of what we were saying about anxiety just now as well as that if you're pitching to someone i think that anxiety probably feeds itself through you know you can probably pick up if someone's quite desperate for want of a better phrase in, in needing that pitch and needing that work which i think is why you know again from what panda was saying about take a break you know because it will show if you are pitching when you need to rather than when you want to your ideas are just going to come off a bit a bit clunky perhaps i think there's a lot to be said as well for keeping your pitches really short mm-hmm. um John, as you were saying, you've obviously been on both sides of the fence. You know that if you like a pitch, you'll ask more questions, won't you? So I think maybe freelancers can get bogged down in this pitch needs to be perfect. But often the pitches that I send, like sometimes they are longer, but often I'll just send a couple of lines and say, this is what I've got in mind. Do you like it? I'll send you more info. And then that gives them, it gives the commissioning editors just a bit of a reprieve from these long rambling emails that they get for pitches or just the huge influx of stuff that they've got to look at all the time and if they don't reply then you know they've had it they've probably read that two lines of your email and they either didn't like it or they don't have time to reply and it's not a priority on their list so you can gauge you know how much do I chase like I've not sent them a full pitch a couple of lines they didn't like it I'll just leave it for now um, and obviously it saves you time as well you don't have to do a full-on pitch to get commissioned or kind of get a bit of interest on what you're doing yeah I found that it's actually I think in the current situation where people are quite pressured in working from home you can kind of use that as an excuse to do a shorter pitch as well so I've and then it takes you less time so I've done that a couple of times recently with you must be so swamped at the moment I just wondered if you had any interest in a feature on this topic or are you already doing it if if you want I can send you more detail and then you're kind of using the kind of current situation just to make it easier on everybody rather than having to send loads of yeah detail and links and yeah and we have actually managed I'm quite impressed to do a lot of positive uh, kind of advice and good news stories there and um, one thing that I just want to kind of add finally is I think that networking it's something we talk about in the book we've talked about on previous podcasts it's so vital for freelance journalists but I think now more than ever because when you're having that bad day you can reach out to others who can sympathize they know what you're going through they might even have some suggestions they might have seen some work or opportunities elsewhere that you not picked up and I think I think Lily and I have both said that it's actually it's been so much more helpful now than it ever was to have those networks and have those contacts. One thing I've found is that um, there's probably a bit of a misconception that even though journalism is a really competitive industry, people often imagine that maybe freelancers are at each other's throats all the time. But actually, I found that the freelance network of journalists, whichever group, whether it's a Facebook group or just Twitter, whatever, or just friends who are freelancers, everybody really wants to help each other. Um, so actually relying on your freelance friends or getting to know people just by chatting to them on Twitter, even just sending them a direct message if you feel like they're open to it, just having that idea in your mind that actually freelancers are quite helpful and they will they will respond most of the time positively if you're just saying I'm having a really rubbish day I think it's it's good to reach out to the freelance friends who understand the industry and can give you a bit of a pep talk if you need it yeah definitely and I think that's kind of what we've been trying to demonstrate with this podcast in particular is you know we're getting different people on each week and everyone is being really happy to kind of 
share their experiences and and share kind of tips and advice really um it might be that they don't want to give away their entire contacts book but actually they may give you one or two contacts you know if you build up that relationship with someone um yeah people definitely want to help each other out and it's not kind of this cutthroat world that like you say that I think people perhaps think it with think it is so yeah well that's been great but thanks very much Punter and John for that it's been really really helpful um and we hope to those of you that are listening that this has given you a, a taste of what our full series will be like and that is going to be launching next week so on Wednesday May the 13th at 8 a.m so we'll be going um launching dropping the first episode um next Wednesday at 8 yeah, so and our first episode is going to be on where to find freelance work, which is a pretty useful one to start with in the current circumstances. It wasn't planned that way, but I think you'll find it really helpful. Yes, and in the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, then please email us at freelancingforjournalists at gmail.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, so I'm at Emma Journo. And I'm at Lily Cantor, and you can also follow the podcast at Freelancing4 and have a look for us on Facebook where we will also post some more tips and advice. So thanks for listening and bye for now. Goodbye.